Hebrews chapter 7. It's on page 1004 of your pew Bibles. If you have the regular version and if you have the large print edition, I forgot to write down what page number that's on, but it's in your bulletin. Hebrews chapter 7. This is God's word. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. On the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. He holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, This is a confusing passage, to say the least. There's so much we could learn. Old Testament law, the priesthood, how the New Testament understands the Old Testament, how the Old Testament foreshadows the New. And Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom in all these things, but most of all, Lord, we pray that you would lift up Jesus before us. And that we would see him, who is our great high priest, who serves in the very presence of God forever. 
We pray that you would do this for his glory, for we ask it in his name. Amen. When we were in South Carolina, we bought a house, and it had this humongous master bathroom that had had some work done on it to repair what looked like a leak. So the, the tiles at the very bottom of the shower looked like they had been torn out and replaced. And whoever did it did such a terrible job that maybe a year after we owned the house, we realized if we don't fix this, everything's just going to start leaking into the downstairs. And so we had a bunch of contractors come in and uh, give us estimates on what it was going to cost. And this one guy comes in, and, and as he's walking in, he's like, I've been here before. Oh, yeah, I did work on this shower. Uh, and, and at that point, I just stopped listening to him. Like, maybe he was the guy, maybe he wasn't, I don't know. But why in the world, if I was seeking to gut the whole thing and rebuild it, would I go back to an inferior workman? Right? We, we do this, though. This is sort of human nature to go back to old things, even if they are inferior, because they're more comfortable. This is why we go back to old relationships, no matter how unhealthy they might be. This is why we go back to old habits. Even though we make these New Year's resolutions, I'm never going to do that again. Well, it's four weeks into the new year, and if you're like me, you hadn't done a great job of keeping any of those promises. We get sick, we get tired, and we just go back to the old things, even though we know there's a better way. Well, the readers of Hebrews have as we've said many times, been tempted to go back to old things. They, they were struggling in their faith. They were struggling in their Christian lives. We don't know all the reasons why. We don't know all of the things that they were experiencing. But what we do know, based on all the things that the, the author is dealing with, is that they were tempted to go back to these old things that they saw in the Old Testament, even though they were inferior to what they had received in Christ. Angels, the law of Moses, keeping of the, the Old Testament rites, and even the attraction of the Old Testament Levitical priesthood. They, they had this temptation to start going back to the old things, even though they were inferior. And the, the funny thing is, is the, the whole history of the Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament is nothing but one long narration on its weaknesses and failures, right from the beginning. I mean, no sooner had Aaron's sons been appointed priests than they went and offered strange fire before the Lord and were consumed by fire from heaven because of their disobedience. And it just goes downhill from there. I mean, there are bright spots. You've got Eleazar, you've got Aaron standing in the gap, but... More often than not, the Old Testament priesthood is just one story of failure after failure after failure. Eli and his sons. Let's not even talk about the Levite in the book of Judges. Go read that story for a gruesome account. How they failed to, to teach the people the law. How the law got lost and King Josiah finds it one day in the temple. What were the priests doing? Where were they? And even in the New Testament, where we read that the high priest didn't even recognize the Messiah when he stood in his presence. The, 
testimony in Scripture is just one narration of the weakness and failure of the Levitical priesthood, one failure after another. Why would we be tempted to go back to something so weak? And so what the author has been doing is trying to show from this Old Testament that has captured the the imagination and the fascination of his original audience, to go back to the Old Testament and show that God, from the beginning, was establishing a priesthood that wasn't weak, that wasn't prone to failure, failure, or poor grammar, or poor, poor enunciation. He was establishing a priesthood that would last forever. And what he shows us here is that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a great high priest who is so effective, so perfectly effective, we can depend on him today, tomorrow, and for all eternity. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a great high priest whose work is so effective, we can depend on him forever. We're going to look at three things here that show us what makes his priesthood greater. And I've adapted these from a guy named William Lane, uh, but we're going to dive in. And the first is this. We can depend on Jesus as our great high priest because he is able to save his people to the uttermost. See, the Levitical priests were weak in a, a variety of ways, but one of the most significant ways that their weakness manifested itself is that they were sinners. Like, like their whole job was to lead people in the way, to teach people in the way of the Lord, in the way of life, to help them offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins, to help them to to learn what it meant to, to devote all that they were and all that they had to the worship of the living God. But they couldn't even do that right without first having to deal with their own sins. They were weak, frail, sinful, sometimes wicked men. And it's like, it's like having a lifeguard that can't swim. I mean, how, like, there are many things that a lifeguard can get away without learning, but there is one essential feature of being a lifeguard. How can you save from drowning those people if you yourself can't swim? And so these Old Testament priests showed time and time and time again They were beset with the same sin and the same weakness as the people they were meant to lead to God. See, a priest's job is to connect people to God. And they struggled to do even that. The Lord Jesus Christ is different. The Lord Jesus isn't a priest like them. In fact, He's such a remarkably different priest that he he has to be a priest in a completely different order. So remarkable, so perfect is his priesthood that he's not a priest because he earned it or because he went through the training. He's not a priest because he was descended from a priest. He wasn't a priest because he was appointed one by law. He's a priest by the very declaration and oath of God himself. Because the Lord God 
beholds his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, says, you are a priest. You connect people to me rightly and perfectly because you are not beset with sin. You are perfect. You are separated from sinners. You have upheld all righteousness and holiness in all that you've done. You are qualified. You are a priest forever. And so our Lord Jesus becomes the guarantor of something better. That's a word we don't use very much. We use guarantee. I want a money-back guarantee. But this isn't just a piece of paper. He is that guarantee personified. He himself is going to devote his attention, his time, and his power to connecting God's people with their God so that it can be said of them that he is their God. They are his people. He is the guarantor. And so when the scripture says that he is able to save to the uttermost, or some of your translations say completely, it's because of this. All of his attention, all of his power, all of his time is devoted to this priestly duty. To focus on the welfare of his people, bring them safely into the presence of God. We have a tendency to lose sight of this and to start to wonder about all of the things in us and around us that we wonder whether they can separate us from God, whether they can bar us from being able to enter into God's presence, whether they can hold us back from drawing near. Maybe you're there. Maybe it seems as if God is far off and, and that there is nothing that you can do to make it better. Maybe it's your sin. And there are these things that are called into your mind and into your conscience and into your heart that you have said, that you've thought, that you've done. And you wonder, if God knew of these things, could I draw near to him? Don't I first need to address these things? I mean, maybe you're just looking at your present and the things that are oppressing you, that have beset you, the things that seem to have sunk so deep into you that you can can't even imagine a future without them. And you wonder, can such a one as I who is characterized by this, possibly draw near to God. The author of Hebrews wants us to see that our great high priest isn't beset with the weaknesses that we are, isn't afflicted with the sin that so entangles our heart. He is a perfect 
high priest. And he is able to save to the uttermost. And he has cleared the way for us to draw near. God is not far off. The way is clear in Christ. And he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Nothing in heaven or on earth or under the earth can separate you from God in Christ. We can depend on Jesus, our great high priest, because he is also able to approach the Father on behalf of his people. This is the second thing I want us to consider this morning. And it's, it's different from the first thing. It's not just that Jesus is a, a, a perfect high priest. He's able to draw near to God himself for us. See, the, the Old Testament Levitical priests they were the only ones allowed in these special places in the tabernacle and the temple, the the holy places. Or even only once a year, the great high priest would go, or the great high priest, the high priest would go into the holy of holies and offer sacrifices for all the people. And that only once a year. And so terrifying was this. It was said that they would tie a rope around the waist of the high priest. His, his garments that the scriptures prescribed that he would wear had bells on the hymns so that if they heard the bells stop, they would know perhaps our priest was so sinful that when he went into the presence of God, he was struck dead and they could just drag him out. They didn't have to go in after him because they had that rope tied around him. Levitical priests were prone to die whether through their own sin or just through age and infirmity. They didn't last forever. And so even when you got a good priest, like one you really liked, you knew his days were numbered. We read here in verses 15 and 16 that there, there needs, it becomes evident as you study the Old Testament priesthood that another priest needs to arise in the likeness of Melchizedek who became a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, concerning his genealogy, but one who's a priest by the power of an indestructible life. Like The, the only way in the Old Testament to be a priest was to be descended from Levi. And even then, if there was something wrong with you, like if you got into an accident and lost a finger, or you were born with some defect, or like you were disqualified, you couldn't be a priest. There were other duties for you to attend to, but you were disqualified from the priesthood. The only way to be a priest was, was through your genealogy, which was a testimony to the fact that the priesthood was just going to be one endless cycle of wicked and sinful and broken and weak people after another. Even the best of them passed away. We need a better priest. And so our Lord Jesus Christ is a great high priest, not by his genealogy, but because his life is indestructible. I mean, he died. 
The Lord Jesus Christ died just like the priests of the Old Testament, but death had no hold on him. And he walked out of the grave and ascended into heaven and is seated right now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And it's in the presence of the Father that our Lord Jesus, it says in verse 25, always lives to make intercession for us. Always. Now, for some of you, I'm really, really old. And for some of you, I'm really, really young. But when I get out to do yard work, when yard work season is around, I start to feel that I'm at the very least not as young as I used to be. Right? There was a time when I could get up and I could work through the heat of the day and just drink water and maybe have a little snack and get all the stuff done in one day. And I, I can't even get close to that anymore. And it's not just with yard work. Start to feel it with other things, too. Can't, can't stay up late. Not as late as I used to, anyway. Even my spiritual life suffers. Ever find yourself forgetting? Have I even prayed today? I can't remember why I walk into a room, and I can't remember whether I've even prayed or not. Or you realize as you're lying down to, to go to sleep and your, your head hits the pillow, you're like, well, I'll pray now. And then you wake up. We are a people beset with weakness. And time takes its toll. But our Lord Jesus, his life is indestructible and he is always before the Father interceding for us. Do you ever find yourself thinking that your way, your life, your struggles, your heartbreak, your doubts, your fears, your anxieties are hidden from God? That even if you were to call out to him, your words would just bounce off the ceiling. Like, like, like it's not just that he's far off. He can't even see you. Can't hear you. Have you ever felt that? And what the author tells us here is this so great is our high priest. He's not beset with fatigue. He does not grow tired or weary. His eye doesn't wander from his people or drift off into sleep. His eye is always on his people. And he always lives to make intercession for them. He knows where you are. He knows the burdens you carry. He knows what you've endured. He knows the path that you walk. He knows the temptations that bear down on your soul. He knows you deeply to the core. And he is before your Father in heaven pleading with him, Help my precious one. Your way is not hidden. Your great high priest doesn't just connect you to God. He advocates for you before God. This is what the priest does. Not just teaching the people the ways of the Lord, 
but going to the Lord and bearing their burdens before him. The high priest didn't just have bells on his hymns. He had the, the names of the tribes of Israel on his breastplates and on his shoulders to show that he bears people before the God of the universe. Our great high priest has our names indelibly graven on his hands. He knows us. He cares for us. And he cries out to the Father for us. He is a great high priest because he's able and willing to approach the Father on behalf of his people because he has an indestructible life. The last thing I want us to consider is this. We can depend on Jesus, our great high priest, because he offered a perfect sacrifice. See, the Old Testament Levitical priests were formed by the Old Testament law. The Mosaic law determined who could be priests and what their duties would be and how often they were to perform them. Everything that they did, everything that they were about, was shaped and determined by the Old Testament law. And we read this strange thing here. Did you catch that? On verse 18, the former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. Now, to be clear, the the writer isn't saying that the Old Testament law is bad. He would say with Paul, it's good, but it has a weakness, as all laws do. They are powerless to enable us to keep them. If we are to be able to be God's people who draw near to him, We need something more than the law that just sets itself up as a standard to judge us. We need a different law that clears the way for us to enter boldly into God's presence. Some friends of mine and I, a while ago, decided that we were all going to sign up for this calorie counting app called Lose It. And and we would track the things that we ate through there so that we could shed some pounds. And I am over 900 consecutive days keeping track of everything. Of course, the problem with that is is keeping track of it doesn't actually do anything because I can keep track from Thanksgiving to New Year's of all the times I blew totally past that, that magic number of calories that I was supposed to have. And sure enough, if you go back and look at the record, that's, it's just one big bar of red That's the problem with the standard. It's the problem with a law. Even a habit of putting it in every day, it gives you no power to actually keep it. The Lord Jesus Christ did something. He came and he fulfilled the law. He kept every command fulfilled all righteousness on our behalf, was perfectly righteous and holy in every respect, in a way that nothing else in the history of mankind had ever been. 
Why is it that the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin? There are many reasons, but not the least of which is there is not a bull or a goat or a pigeon. It's truly perfect. Oh, they might look good on the outside, but they're still a part of this broken and fallen world that groans for glory. The Son of God came and fulfilled all righteousness and offered not the blood of bulls and goats that has no power to take away sin, but offered his own blood, a perfect sacrifice. He stood in our place and died the death that you and I deserve to die. And he rose again to newness of life that we might have confidence that his work was sufficient. And in doing so, he offered a sacrifice that transcends the law. That, if you'll let me speak in human terms, replaces the Old Testament law. Why don't we offer animal sacrifice anymore? Why don't we keep the Old Testament law? The author tells us, the law made nothing perfect, but a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. A greater, better, greater sacrifice has been made for us on Christ, through Christ. And we enter the presence of God not on the basis of keeping the Old Testament law, but on the basis of Christ keeping the law for us. We enter into the presence of God not on the basis of ceremonial rites and rituals, but on the basis of Christ's sacrifice in our place. We enter into the presence of Christ not on the basis of our keeping the law, but on the standard of love. It was for love that the Lord redeemed his people. That we might be a people who learn what it means to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as itself, which is why we can read in the New Testament that Jesus has given us this new commandment, which isn't a new commandment. It's the same old commandment throughout all Scripture, but it's new and it's power because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Commandment to love one another. The commandment to love our God and to live in that love. Not checking off the boxes of all the laws and calories that we've kept, but learning what it means to live out of transformed hearts in a way that follows Jesus in all of life. In Christ, the law is fulfilled for us. And this sets us free to live for him. And it sets us free to be honest. Like, if, if we are, are to be redeemed by our keeping of the law, we can never really be honest about our sin. We're always going to try to minimize it. Or explain it away. Or find ways to make up for it sort of counterbalance it. Well, I've done more good than bad. But because of who Jesus is, we can actually be honest about who we are. And we can boldly draw near to God and be made new in Him. Look, there is a sense in which we'll, we will always struggle with going back to the old things, to the old habits, to the old ways. We always need this call to look again to Jesus. 
because it's in him that we transition from striving to work, to earn the favor of God, to becoming God's workmanship. Created afresh and anew in Christ Jesus. To be that which he has called us and made us to be. In the Old Testament, the worshiper's role in the sacrifice was significant, right? Like you didn't just drop by the, the tabernacle or the temple and like drop your goat off and say, see ya, Bob, thanks for getting me right with God. Like leave it with the priest and just go to Target or Ikea or whatever. Like you went to the tabernacle and you brought your animal and the priest just helped you do the sacrifice. You laid your hands on the animal as if to signify your sins being imputed to that animal. You slaughtered it. You apportioned it. You put it on the altar and gave some to the priest. You did all of this stuff, and it is hard, bloody, messy work. We have a high priest who's done the work for us by offering up himself. And he lives forever in the presence of God to intercede on our behalf. And he is able to save his people to the uttermost, completely and fully. And what he leaves us with are these great words that we can draw near to God through him. It's finished. So great is the work of our high priest. We can depend on him for that forever. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would guide us and keep us in this way. That you would reveal to us more and more the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ. This great sacrifice. This great priest. And that you would show us that our way is not hidden from you. That you are not far off that we are not blocked from drawing near to you. But in Christ, the way is clear. For us, weak and frail and sinful though we may be, to come to you and to be named your people and for you to be our God. Help us, O Lord, to rejoice in the reality of who Jesus is for us. Teach us what it means to live lives dependent on him for everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.